0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The first Sunday after Pascha, after Easter, is dedicated to St. Thomas. About this Thomas, we know one thing above all. And last night at the big vigil that we had to prepare for this liturgy, it used the epithet, decisive. We remember that before Holy Week, when the tension between our Savior and the religious leadership in Jerusalem had reached clearly the breaking point, Christ said that he was going to go just there to Jerusalem from the point of view of the disciples it meant let's go into the hornet's nest and of course the disciples did not receive this information gladly they were at great risk in a theocracy which stoned to death people who broke the rules. And from the point of view of the leadership of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth is at that moment the icon of the man who breaks the rules. We actually hear only one voice from those around Christ the Gospel chooses to remember only one statement. And that statement, as you recall, is, well, then let's go up to Jerusalem and die with him. And that voice, as you remember, belongs to Thomas. Thomas does not speak very much on the pages of the Gospel. But when he speaks, what he says has a decisive importance. Of course, he gives voice here to the apostolic consensus, and we know that they will all go up to Jerusalem. And though they will not all die there, they are, as far as they are concerned, probably going to their deaths, and their courage is to be measured by that. So, the Epithet that is used in the services to describe Thomas that he is decisive meaning that he has the courage of his convictions and is willing to speak up and speak out defines the man and for that reason we are not at all surprised to find him days and days after the disciples become rather slowly aware that though Christ had died on the cross, somehow and in some way he is still alive. And we find Thomas speaking again decisively, just as many men would speak when he is told, we have seen the Lord. He says, unless I put my finger into those wounds that we know are there, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe that Christ, whom I saw dead, is now alive. So, eight days after this, the disciples are still in Jerusalem and cowering. They are hiding in a room behind locked doors. And in its very brief way, the gospel says that though the doors were shut for fear of the Jews, Christ enters. There are some people who wonder where Christ says in the gospel that he is God. Well, there are a number of oblique references which you have to understand Jewish rules to understand that he's saying that he's God. For example, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is praying, and you remember that Judas comes with a whole great crowd, a posse from the high priest, and they are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, uh, if you remember, I am he. Egoi me. I am he. And they stagger backwards and fall on the ground. Well, what he has done in the Garden of Gethsemane on Holy uh, Thursday night, is to use the name of God in reference to himself. And when a good, a pious Jew hears the name of God spoken, he must fall down. The Jews used nicknames, circumlocutions for God, but they could not pronounce the name itself. So sacred was it. And so that's one one time that you see that Christ actually is claiming to be divine. But if you don't know why they stagger backwards and fall down, which is the prescribed response to that, uh, you don't understand what he said. It just seems, well, I'm the one you're looking for. Well, there are other ways of indicating Christ's divinity, and that is that he does not seem to be subject to the rules of physics that we all grow up with from the time we're little babies, and we just begin to assume that the solidity and the dimensions of the world around us are eternal. That's the way it is. There's a wall there, and I am not going to be able to walk through that wall. Under dire circumstances in a Hollywood film, somebody can throw me through a wall or through a door and you see it break and the person go through. But that isn't what is happening here. The DNA of our Savior is not stopped by solid matter. He, as it were, moves through the solid density of walls and doors. In any event, he enters the place where his frightened disciples are, and Thomas this time is there and with them, and he addresses Thomas, and he addresses his decisive unbelief. He invites Thomas to do exactly what Thomas said he needed to do in order to establish faith. Very well, my friend. Take your hand and touch the wounds of the crucifixion if that's what you need to do. However, he goes on to rebuke the need itself. He rebukes the need because what is going to be required from Christians is not that we get our hands on the body of the Savior and verify with our searching hand the wounds of Christ, but that we have faith. And our Savior refers us exactly to the kind of faith that our Father Abraham has who is the father of faith who hears the word of God and sets out from the security of his father's house into a place that God will show him and all of this obedience to the word of God is accounted as the very content of faith the others have not had to put their fingers anywhere in order to verify faith. Now we see in the apostles just how hard faith is. When the first people to establish that the tomb is empty, the women, the myrrh-bearing women we call them, when they came back from the empty tomb, having seen the angels and heard from the angels that Christ was not there, that he was living and not dead. We see that the apostles really do not lend a lot of credence to these women's words, even though they know these women very well. They are from their villages back in Galilee. Some of these women they have probably known all their lives. These women are also disciples of the Savior. One would think that their word would be trustworthy. Here again, we need to know something about Jewish culture. And that is that the word of women and of males who are under age is not taken as truth. It doesn't mean that it's falsehood but it is not, cannot be used to establish and to verify truth. Only the word of men who are adults can be taken, the reason being that both women and young men can be coerced. This is still a very violent culture in which men are able to coerce others Using violent means. And for that reason, Hebrew law will not accept neither the word of women nor the word of men who are young. So the apostles have to run and see for themselves. And you remember that John and Peter are running, and we know that John is a teenager at this time. You remember they run to the tomb and John says that he came there first, but remember he doesn't go in to see if it's empty. He steps back and he waits for Peter, who is the adult. John can go in and look around and see whatever he wants to see, but his word is meaningless until he is an adult. So he waits for Peter. Let Peter go in and establish What is what? Is there a body there or is it not there? Because then he will go back to the others and say, with the veracity of an adult male, I looked and there was no body. And his word can be taken. Decisive, doubting Thomas. It isn't so much that he doubts anything. he just says he wants to verify it for himself. And there is a subtle difference there. Which is why, in Greek, he is never called Doubting Thomas. That comes from the West. He is called Pistos Thomas, Faithful Thomas. Christ is able to latch on to Thomas's love of the truth. He can rebuke him for his lack of faith, but he still understands that Thomas is a disciple with whom he can work. Thomas wants to know and insists on knowing what is the truth. Let's not make up any fairy tales here. And Thomas's witness becomes part of the gospel. We don't know what Matthias thought. We don't know what most of the disciples thought about all things. They're never mentioned in the gospel. Peter's reaction is mentioned. Later, a long time later, Paul will independently, long after the ascension of our Savior from this earth, have an experience of Jesus Christ and he will know certain things from his contact with our Lord, and he will write in one of his epistles that, yes, Christ rose from the dead. And he has this directly from Christ himself. So he becomes a kind of retroactive eyewitness to the events of the gospel. But Thomas is meticulously Included in the gospel account. And he acts to verify things. That is to say, we're not simply going to buy into any wild women stories about angelic beings and empty tombs. We're going to find out for ourselves and we're going to verify as mature adults what is the truth. And for that reason, we call Thomas Pistos Thomas, Faithful Thomas, faithful, full of faith. Thomas's response to our Savior's invitation, Okay, if you really need to poke into a wound, be my guest. But that is not the right way to go. And Thomas's response is, My Lord and my God. O It is a confession of faith now. Thomas breaks clear of his need to refer to the logic and the truth of our three-dimensional world. Christ turns that world upside down and inside out when he passes mysteriously through a closed door. And any of us who know what the Middle East is like realize that we are not talking about plastic doors from Home Depot in which you could imagine that maybe something funny is going on. These are solid doors made of thick planks of wood. His very appearance in the room of his cowering disciples is itself a miracle. His resurrected body is not subject to the rules of earthly physics. He also needs to tell us that our faith must also not be confined to the three-dimensional world of space and time. The Sunday of Thomas, the first Sunday after Pascha, is a challenge and an invitation to us to think not only decisively, which is good, but to think daringly. Because the Gospel is, in a special way, a dare. A dare to every one of us to believe on the sheer basis of, of those convictions that we hold in good faith. From the outset, therefore, Christ lays down the terms of what it is like not merely to be a Christian, in some sense, but to think like a Christian. And for that, you and I can be forever grateful to decisive, faithful Thomas. Amen.